0: I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. If you are married, raise your hand real quickly. If you're married currently, raise your hand. Okay, here's the question. To one of you that raised your hand. Why did you get married? What's the reason? Why, Why did you get married? Volunteers work good here. Why did you get married? You love your spouse. Okay. Any other reasons? That's it? is was God's plan deal with loneliness. In fact, God's plan dealt with the idea of loneliness in Genesis 2 and verse 18. What did God say? It is not good that man should be alone. We love our spouse, but the reality is we got married because we didn't want to be alone. We could have loved our spouse and not been married and not been that close, but the reality is we want that closeness. We want that companionship. Now, here's another question for you. Why did you join the local church? What is it about joining a local body of Christians that you said, I want to be a part of that? What was it? Anyone? God's plan? Because you love the brethren so much? The reality is we do that because it protects against spiritual aloneness or loneliness. In fact, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 does not say you have to be at the building every time the doors are open. We've kind of given that idea that this is a command that you have to attend. And that's not really it. Hebrews 24, 25 says that we ought to stimulate one another to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some do, but encouraging one another until you see the day approaching. And the reality about that verse is That verse is saying we are here together, and at all these times we come together as a local body, we do that to encourage us and to keep from being alone spiritually. God will design this institution, the church, to provide us spiritual companionship so that we can have a fellowship with one another. And we could be together and encourage each other so we didn't have to face the battle alone. And the reality is that most congregations, most congregations don't do that the best that they can. That doesn't mean that they're not connected and that they're not enjoying the fellowship and companionship. We're just not as good at it as we should be. We always get up on Sunday morning and we put on our best clothes and we put on our everything's okay face and we come in and we sit in our seat And we pray and we sing and we listen to the guy that gets up in the pulpit and we partake of the communion together and we do all of those things and we stand around and talk a little bit and then we go home and we struggle with our sin and our temptation and our trials all by ourselves. Because the reality is we're supposed to come here and be able to talk to people here and say, you know what really, really is bothering me? You know what Satan is attacking me with? You know what sin I really struggle with? But we don't do that. You know why that is? we're afraid to let people know what we're really like. And the problem with that is that does not solve my spiritual aloneness. That doesn't give me the companionship. If I'm not letting you know my burdens, you can't fulfill Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You can't bear them. If I'm not confessing my sins to my brethren, whether it be public or in a private setting on -on one-on-one, you can't pray for me as James 5 tells us. And it's not going to work on my behalf. And as long as we come dressed up and play on church, and we, we play the role of the spiritual Christian on Sunday and Wednesday night, and yet the rest of the time we're at home struggling by ourselves, the plan has been thwarted. i tell you where this really comes into play, is there are many who just don't see the need to really be a part of a congregation apart from the fact that God said you had to. You know, and, and let me explain what that means. There may be some here who are like that this morning. You're going to be here today, but I may not see you the rest of the week. There are some who take the idea, well, God said you had to be there. I have to be there Sunday morning. That's it. And I don't need the church. Well, I've got to tell you, that's just not true. God didn't design the church, and He didn't create the idea of an assembly for an encouragement so that you could come once a week to get it checked off your list. It's not the purpose of it. You know, to the guy that says, well, I don't need the church and I don't need that fellowship and I don't need people. You know, I was reminded last night we were there at the bonfire and all the kids, you get around the fire they're taking out sticks and what they want to do is they want to wave them around and play with them. And my kids had sticks and I just see an actually waiting to happen. My kids may be a little rambunctious sometimes and the ends of the sticks are glowing red and the people sitting around, they're waving around. I just know somebody's about to get poked in the eye. So I'm saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, after a while, Edwin's kids are always worse than mine, they, one of his pulls out a big log Out of the fire. And it was glowing red when he pulled it out. And he's playing with it, it turns black. And his mother says, don't do that. Put the log back in the fire, it's burning. He looks at it and says, it's not burning. Because it had turned black. You put it back in the fire, you know what happened? It started glowing red again. That's like us. When we're connected to other Christians, we're on fire, we're we're burning, we're we're glowing red. You pull me away from Christians and you don't let me have contact and you don't let me be able to be encouraged by them. And after a while, I just turn to ash. The, the, The glow goes away. And that's what our assembly and that's what the local body's about. It's me coming back to the fire on a regular occasion to brighten up the embers, to regain my heat, to reconnect with the source. And the people. And I have to tell you, being a Christian is about more than just being connected to God. It's about being connected to Him and His family. That's what He requests of us. If God thought we could make it on our own, and without the local body, He would have asked us to do it. Or He would have told us we could. But He has not. He has asked us to get connected. And the other part of this is we are at war. Edwin mentioned this, but in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. you ever notice how soldiers refer to their fellow soldiers? What terms they use. Most often they use the idea of brotherhood. There's a a series that came out several years ago about World War II. They called it Band of Brothers. That was the idea. Shakespeare said it this way in King Henry V. He said, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be ne'er so vile. We are a band of brothers. And in order to be successful at battling against the evil one and overcoming sin in our lives, we must be connected. The reality is that you nor I are the spiritual equivalent of Samson. We cannot take on 300 by ourselves and win. The reality is we must stand together. And we must conquer together. You realize though that there are risks to this. There are risks to this. But after all, we use the analogy of marriage, there were risks to that, weren't there? And when you got married, people often told you, people in the world, why would you do that? And you knew that roughly about half of marriages ended in divorce. There's always that risk. And you knew that there are times that people are unfaithful. And you had heard other people complain and murmur about their marriage and how much liberty and freedom they lost. But you did it anyway. Because you didn't want to be alone. There's risk when you get involved with the Lord's body. But we do it anyway. Because we cannot be alone spiritually. Let's talk about getting connected and why it's crucial as we begin. And I hope, by the way, there's a lot of material I like to cover this time. I'm probably going to have to fly through some of it just to let you know ahead of time. You know, the reality is the first reason that we need to be connected is isolationism is unhealthy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than to say this simply. Why do you think in prison, when someone gets in trouble, the first thing they do is stick them in a room by themselves for 23 hours a day? As punishment. Because it's not good. Because it's not healthy for us. And I know that part of that is to protect the population from this person's actions. But there's also the very real part that this is a protection of a punishment. I gotta tell you, as Americans, our motto is I can do it all by myself. I don't need anybody. We're so self-centered that on the bestseller list, there was recently a book entitled How to Be Your Own Best Friend. That ought to tell you something. And that's unhealthy. The other reason it's crucial to get connected is because just simply to take from Ecclesiastes 4 2 are better than one. Turn over there for a moment and let's read that together in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, there's some things said there. There's the idea of mutual effort. A good return for their labor. Two are better than one. They get more return. There's mutual support. Two are better than one. In verse 10, if one falls, he lifts up his companion. There's mutual encouragement. Two people keep each other warm. Remember the idea of the fire? There's also mutual strength. One person may withstand, two will withstand. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The reality is, is that when we get connected, this passage tells us that two are better than one because we receive support, we receive encouragement, we receive warmth, we receive strength, we receive a mutual effort that has a mutual reward. The reality is there are great benefits to this. But you know, we, we kind of get in our mind, well, if I do that, then I lose my individuality. If I, if I, if I become a part of a group and I buy into group things, and I have to all think the same way and talk the same way and walk the same way, then I won't be myself. I have to become average and look like the masses. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. All it means is that we don't adopt personalities that demand that we receive excessive independence to the point of isolating ourselves. What it means then is we have to take the fences down. We have to remove the hedges. We have to hang a a welcome sign on the door. We have to duplicate the keys to our heart and distribute them to everyone around us that has the like precious faith. We have to build bridges and allow others to cross over the moats that we've used to separate us. We have to let people know who we are. But that's risky. That's risky. It's risky because they'll know who I am. And that's not always pretty. And it's risky because there's going to be setbacks and then what do we do? I want you to turn back to the book of Exodus, and we'll start in chapter 13 in just a moment. We're going to be using this week the nation of the Hebrew people as our model for so much. And I want to talk with you for a few minutes in the time we have remaining about the risk of being so connected. And I want to use the Exodus as a sign of that. You realize that there's a generation of the Hebrew people who were taken out of Egypt and promised this land, and they crossed on the Red Sea, and yet they failed they failed to be connected to God and to each other enough to be able to conquer Canaan. And as a result, they are caused to walk around for 40 years waiting for that generation to die off. The same pitfalls they faced and the same risk they had to face that caused them to give up on becoming a congregation of unity to take over Canaan are the same things we face that so often keep us. These risk of getting connected. And the first of those is unfamiliar surprises. In Exodus chapter 13, in verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt to be equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Egypt with him. For Moses had said to the sons of Israel, solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went with them in the pillar and the day, a pillar of fire to lead them along by the way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light. And they traveled by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart but from before the people. you got to understand that the logical way, and we're all very logical The logical way to get back to Canaan was to go through the land of the Philistines. And they didn't do that. Don't you know those people wondered, why are you taking us the long way? Why is it that this is the way we have to go? The land's right there. And yet God knew that there was war there. And if they had seen that, they would have had to encounter one. They would have had to fight too early. They would have had to go and they would have lost heart and they would have returned back to Egypt. You know, the reality is we're all on a wilderness journey of sorts. And there's a lot of things in our life that come our way that we just don't understand. We have in our mind when we pray a prayer what the answer is before we ask it. And when God doesn't give us that answer, that's a surprise we're not ready for. And we find ourselves asking, why? Why have you done this? Why? Because God works in His time and in His way. And we have to accept that. But when we start getting connected and then things don't go the way we think they should go, Oh, he says we'll be successful if we're more united. And then what happens? You kind of get united and then you have a problem. Well, let's just give up on that. That's not how it's supposed to work. There are going to be unfamiliar surprises. There's nothing to fear, though, as long as God is with us. God provided them a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And it was direct guidance from God. They knew. They saw His providence every day. And we often as people, they go, how could they not see God was leading them? They should have trusted His providence. I've got to ask you, how can you not see that God is leading you every day? You ought to trust His providence. This is our pillar of fire in our cloud. It is right here. And we sometimes wonder, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to look to God and follow in the steps. We're so judgmental on them for not getting connected to God and not seeing His providence. We fail to do the same thing. Unfamiliar surprises will cause us to not be connected, though. And this is just the first of many things. The other, Another one is unwanted fears. And I want you to imagine in Exodus 14 and verse 9 through 12, I want you to see kind of this idea. You are leaving Egypt in slavery and you are going a different way than you should go. And you come to the Red Sea. And then you look up and what do you see coming but Pharaoh and his horses and his chariots chasing after you? What do you think? i tell you what they thought. Look at verse 11. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done this in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What, do you just bring us out here for genocide next to the next to the Red Sea? Just let us be killed right here? Is that what this is all about? Remember, these are people who had a cloud hovering over their head at a pillar of fire, and they're asking this question. The enemies are coming and closing in. You turn around the other way, there's a sea you cannot cross. What do you do? What do you do? We remember the story, don't we? How that Moses went up as God instructed him, and he divided by the power of God the Red Sea. And the people of Israel walked across on dry ground. And as soon as they had crossed over, likely close to two million people, and all of their belongings, as soon as they crossed over, the sea comes back down on Pharaoh's horses and his army and his chariots. It was an unwanted fear. But God delivered. How many times have we given up in the church out of fear? How many times have we not done something because of fear? There are several cases along the way of our study this week where this question will come up. But brethren, I have to ask you, if God can part the Red Sea for them, what can He do for you? How big is your God? The reality is not, it's not our problem. The reality is we fail to have the adequate faith in God to know He will deliver us. And when we don't have faith in Him, we don't have faith in His people and we don't get connected. And these unwanted fears cause us to not be enjoying the fellowship and the companionship spiritually we should. I can't draw close to you until I trust in God first. It's impossible. And I have to be convinced that He is always going to deliver. He, He's always going to deliver us. Another problem was the unpleasant adversities in Numbers chapter 11 in verses uh, 1 through 6. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down, so the name of the place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Egypt wept and said, Oh, that we had more to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, but it cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our streak is dried up. There's nothing at all but this manna to look at. You know, all along the way, God's been providing. He's had that pillar of fire, that cloud by the day, and He's been showing them every step of the way. He's been giving them manna. He's been giving them food. I mean, can you imagine every day going up and gathering food that God gave you? But the reality is, after a while, if all you had to manna is manna, that starts to get a little old. I don't know if you thought about this, but by the time the people cross into the Jordan River, they've eaten manna for 40 years. I love a good hamburger. But I don't want to eat one for the next 40 years at every meal. You've got to imagine, what did they do? Everybody, nobody had to ask, what's for supper? Nobody had to wonder, the "Oh, what am I going to fix this week? Maybe the question was, well, how did you fix it this time? Maybe maybe they passed around the copy of Mrs. Moses' The Thousands of One Ways to Cook Manna. I don't know. But with every step of the way, they're headed to, to the promised land and they're gathering this manna, but they don't like it anymore. It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. And we know the troubles of the water and we know that they wanted quail or wanted meat. And God meant every step of the way. Whether it was manna or bringing water from the rock or throwing a tree to make the, the bitter water sweet or, or, or bringing quail, God meant every step of the way. But the reality is the unpleasant adversities caused them not to be focused on each other and on God and what the task was. Same will happen to us. What about the risk of unfair accusations? Numbers 11, we remember the story there in verses 26-32. Men in the camp, Elbad and Medad, the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they have not gone out to the tent. They prophesied in the camp. And the young man comes to Moses and he says, Hey Moses, Elbad, verse 27, Elbad and Medad are prophesying. And Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from the youth up, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? Where all that the Lord people were prophets that the Lord would put them on a spirit and spirit on them, and Moses the elders of Israel, returned to the camp. And remind of number 12 in verses one and two, how Miriam and Aaron had come out and say, "Well, is Moses the only one that God speaks through? Has he not spoken through us and how the Lord heard it?" It was unfair to strike out at Moses wasn't? It? I mean, did he sign up for this really? If you go back to Exodus three and four, where God's there in the burning bush, Moses gives God all the reasons why he shouldn't be doing this. And Moses finally says to God, Just send somebody else. I don't want to do this. And God says, No, you're going to do it. You will go. Aaron's on his way. He'll be your mouthpiece. You will lead my people. You have no choice in this. And now here's a leader that's forced to lead, and he's done so remarkably well throughout all times. I mean, he does make the mistake later on. We know that. But the reality is, here we have people who are accusing Moses, who didn't want to be the leader. How fair is that? It's not fair. That's how leadership is. You're the king of the hill or you're the bullseye on the dartboard. There's really no in-between. A guy that's been in the news recently for some comments he's made recently, that's not important, but Sonny Jurgensen, quarterback of the Redskins. He was attacked one time when he was playing of fans and media members for his team's bad play. And somebody asked if all the negative attention was getting to him. And he flashed a toothless smile and said, no, nah, not me. I've been in this game long enough to know that every week the quarterback's either in the penthouse or the outhouse. That's how leadership is. You're either at the top or you're at the bottom. Now, the penthouse is obviously more fun. But the reality is that the accusations are always going to start coming. And when they do, what happens is, just like Egypt, we want to return, we want to retreat. We won't stop. How many times have they said, as we've read together this morning, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Oh, that we could have eaten the things of Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. you think they really want to go back to Egypt? Do you think they really want to go back to slavery where the Pharaoh was, was making their labor harder? They didn't trust because they focused on all the negatives. Let me tell you what's wrong sometimes with the church today. We are far too focused on the negative things and finding faults and making accusations and using judgments and talking about this person or that person and what's wrong with them and why this isn't good. We spend more time doing that than we do building each other up. And we ought to be ashamed of that. There's no sense in that. God put us together as His family, to help each other go to heaven. Not to make us long to go back to the world where they don't judge us so much. We're tearing ourselves apart. And especially when we attack leadership. I tell you who has the hardest job in the Lord's body are elders. elders. You are not forced to take on that extra responsibility and accountability, but do so willingly because they know it's part of God's plan and that the flock needs that and that a church without elders is lacking. But we need to lift them up instead of tear them down. And I know, not here, but I know in all places, there are elders that the accusations happen far too often. They happen far too often. Well, finally, there's also the unexpected resistance over and over again. But in Numbers chapter 13, what we see is we get close to the edge. Here are these people. It's the first generation. You're going to be able to go into the promised land. And in Numbers 13, they go, okay, let's send out 12 spies. And they send out the 12 spies, Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others. And God said to do this. But notice what happens in chapter 13 and verse 21. They went up and spied out the land and the land of the wilderness from Zin to Rehob near Labohamoth. And they went to Negev and came to Hebron. Ahamim, Sishai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch of a single cluster of grapes. They carried it on a pole between the two of them. And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. I can't imagine carrying a cluster of grapes that was so large that more than one person had to carry them. But that's how great this land is. God's promised it, and now these twelve men get to see this is how great it is. This is fantastic. And what happens? In chapter 13, at the end of verse 26, they came to Moses and to all the congregation of the people in Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word of them and all the congregations showed them the fruit of the land. They said, we've come to the land which you've If it flows with milk and honey, this is its fruit. It's true. It's true. We finally made it. Here it is. Crops of plenty. We've got grapes. Hey, we won't have to eat manna when we take this land. And you would hope that that story would end and they lived happily ever after, but it doesn't. Because in verse 28 starting, however... The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Geb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell by the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up and watch and occupy it, for if we, we are able to overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people a bad report the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is, is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from Nephilim, and we seed ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. Another problem. Another problem over and over again. Unpleasant adversities and unwanted fears and unexpected uh, surprises and all of the things. And now, this, this resistance. We can't go. They're too great. They're too big for us. You ever felt that way? You ever been on the brink of exhaustion and you can hear the footsteps of the giants coming? You're teetering between being faithful and not and you see these insurmountable obstacles in your way. I I can understand, in one sense, why the ten spies felt overwhelmed. They, as a group of people, as a congregation, as a nation, couldn't even get along to get from Egypt to here. They couldn't even come this far without the problems that they had. Complaining and constant criticism and judgment. And now, this group of splintered people who didn't believe in leadership of Moses and of God, they're going to go take a land of giants? Well, no wonder they were intimidated. They had no strength. And that's what our problem is so often. We're not connected. We're not a group. We're not all together and united. And we look outside of the of the assembly of the Lord's body and we see all the obstacles and the giants and the problems and the sin. And we look at our own life and we see all the problems and we go, well, how can I come together and conquer this community and do the things I'm supposed to do? And how can we conquer evil together when I can't even handle my sin by myself? And that's the problem. Because we still don't realize that we're not supposed to do it by ourselves. And we allow the giants to defeat us. We allow the world to conquer us. How does all this relate to us? What do the idle ramblings of murmurings of a grumpy group of Israelites, what does that mean to us? I mean, that's a great question. They have a promise here it goes all the way back to Genesis 12. They're going to receive this land. They know of it. It's been retold to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and all of the descendants. They, they know the story. They see what God's done. By this point, they've crossed over the Red Sea. They've they've gone on dry ground. They see the pillar of fire. They see the cloud all the time. They see God's continual presence. And yet they didn't get to see the promised land. And they didn't conquer anything. And they wandered aimlessly until they died out. you realize all of that could have been prevented? That Israel focused on the risk and fears instead of connecting to God and each other. Look at all the reasons why they couldn't do things. All the reasons why they were going to fail. We're going to look for the rest of the week at a different generation. This generation failed because they didn't get connected to God and to each other. Do you trust God to help you leave Egypt and find Canaan? Do you in your life individually, do, do you trust God to allow you to leave the slavery of sin and to be able to stand up and fight against it and to be able to find the promised land? That's the real question. These five things we've looked at, they happen to us. We'll face a Red Sea. We'll look up sometime and we'll, we'll see in front of us, we'll see the army of evil and behind us we'll see some obstacle we can't cross. And we have a choice. Are we going to give up or are we going to get connected to God's people and call out to God and say, or just split the sea. Let us give us the deliverance. We can't look at the sea. We can't look at the giants. We can't look at the, the negative criticism and the bad judgments and the discouragement. We have to engage in the warfare together and fight together and get connected to God. Let me give you a close with some evidence of God's providence that takes from this same generation of people. They should have known better. They should have known better. And the first of those is they had that clear direction from above. As we read, they had that, that daily reminder of God's guiding hand through the fire and the cloud. If they were tempted to return to Egypt, all they had to do was look up over the tabernacle and see God's presence. Yeah, you know, In some ways, I often think, well, I wish in my life, There'd be some way. Like, you've seen those commercials where they've got the green arrow on the floor, and if the guy just walks on the arrow, he knows exactly where to go and what to do, and it doesn't get sidetracked financially. Wouldn't it be great if in our life God just put a green arrow on the floor and we could just walk it? We'd never have to know. And if we ever questioned it, we could just look down and see the arrow and go, oh, this is the way I'm supposed to go. Or we could look up and see the cloud of the fire. Wouldn't that be fantastic? But we have that. We have that. Oh, God's not going to say, don't go there. Don't get too close to that person. Don't look at that. He's not going to do that. But He's given us the principles that, if we put them in our heart, will tell us the same thing. He's given us that guidance. There was no guessing game for them, and there is not for us. We have to get connected to Him through the book. Show his guiding hand. There's also the time re- relief from discouragement. In Numbers chapter 11, and verse 16 and verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, officers over them, bring them to the tent of the meeting, let them take their stand there with you. And I'll come down there and talk with you, and I will be some of the spirit that is on you on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it alone. Remember Moses being the target of unjust accusations? God relieves the pressure. He allows other men to take on the burdens and the responsibilities. I'm reminded when I think about this aloneness mentality of Elijah. He so often said, I'm the only one. I'm alone. I'm left. I'm by myself. I'll just sit here and die under this tree. God never meant for us to be alone. And here with Moses, he brings seven, and he puts the spirit on them so that that now people will see it's not just Moses' leadership, there is multiple leadership of all kinds of people among the tribes. That's where the brethren come in. Our job is to connect and to lift each other up, to share each other's burdens. God's put that on all of us as a group. We can only do that when we're connected and have open relationships with genuine spirituality, sincerity, honesty. We come to church and all we do is play church and put on our our faces and our costumes to get through another couple of hours so we can go home and be miserable by ourselves again. There's no relief in that. And that's not God's fault. And by the way, it's not your brethren's fault when you don't share with them. It's yours. I'm not going to hold you down and use some kind of waterboarding or some kind of torture to make you tell me what you struggle with. That's not what God intended. The elders aren't going to lock you in a room with a bright light and say, what is it you really struggle with so we can help you? It's up to us. To share that willingly and confess that. And finally, the internal fortification from threat. There are times when there's just... Little things that nobody else can do anything to help us. There's, there's times when things keep happening and we've got to have the, the intestinal fortitude, for lack of a better term. We've got to understand how to, to, to stand up against it by ourselves even. Not because we're alone, but because we're connected enough to know that we have that strength. And Moses does that in Numbers 11 when he, he responds to Joshua and them complaining about the people who are prophesying. He says, are you jealous for me? Don't be thinking about me. I wish God would make many of the people prophets. i tell you what that was. That was internal fortification. Moses didn't think that he occupied some exclusive role that nobody else could do. And he wasn't jealous about it. He wasn't self-centered about it. He didn't have to sit back and go, well, that's my job. Nobody else should be doing that. Moses didn't have to do that. Moses knew who he was. He knew where he stood. He knew where God was and that God was with him. He knew that those people were nothing to be worried about. Too often we become jealous of each other's roles. I get sick of hearing how we put each other down. I get sick of hearing how one song leader tells me how the other song leader didn't do this fast enough or didn't pitch it right or didn't do this or didn't do that. Or or preachers that, you know... This guy, he, he did this or he did that. We're constantly having to go against one another. Or a teacher who puts down other teachers because they don't teach his way. One of the beauties is we all come together with different talents, different abilities, different understandings, different, different backgrounds, different cultures. And when we come together in a group, it provides so much. We, we need to embrace our differences and realize it's a blessing rather than exposing it and talking about how bad it is. We need to be certainly realizing that as we're connected to God, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be jealous of. There is no place in Christianity for competition. It's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. We need to be connected. We need to be connected and we need to realize we can move forward in our relationships without fear, without without wondering what's going to happen next, without being scared about any of that. God is with us, and if He is with us, who can be against us? We must be connected. If we were to put this in the form of a prayer, we would simply say, Lord, intensify Your distinctiveness in me. Because it's God's desire that we are different from the world. Lord, increase the risk. It's the uncertainty of our future that actually increases our faith. And Lord, enlarge the differences. Each one of us is a unique vessel, not a faded copy of one God help us to be connected so we can conquer. Look forward to the rest of our time together. Thank you for your attention this morning.